welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 219 for Monday, November 14th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me, as always, is the occasionally mythical Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, and if you would like to hear about the mythical and magical relationship between father and son, you should listen to the render distance and the video games that Johnny and I were talking about. It's the extended version of the show. You can get it at patreon.com slash the spun chunks by becoming a member. You have access to that, as well as other bonus things that we do during the month, like the monthly Minecraft hangout, and of course, the quarterly hangout once every three months. So yeah, lots of good stuff happening over at patreon.com slash the What is new in your Minecraft life, Joel? I saw you were streaming from the Citadel a bit this weekend. Yes, I am on a pretty good track of getting excited about some new projects. There's always that fun shift between finishing something that's taken you weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, and then trying to move on to something that you hope will not be as long. And so last last weekend, I, I knocked out a couple of small builds uh, in in single streams but then this weekend i started addressing the larger area uh in the northwest of the town and there's an inn on the corner of the main street and it's important because you can see it quite clearly as you're walking west and then as you're walking north so i wanted to try, try to take the time i was looking at doing the the smaller builds next to it but whenever you're doing a big project like west hill i find that it's important to take a look at the key buildings and do those first because as as i've found out like i might have to trim the roof on the neighbor of of this this build mm -hmm. and i'd rather trim the neighbor than have to adjust the inn right so the inn is this is this corner build and i really wanted it to be special so i'd rather mess around with the one next to it than than um, mess around with the end. I wanted the end to like work the way that I, you know, had envisioned. Looking at one of these screenshots, it looks like you might have to shear the roof as well, because there is a, <laughs> there's a sheep up on a, up on a oh, section yeah. of the roof that I'm like, that's not meant to be there. No, that's that's the that's the roof sheep. Uh, that sheep <laughs> was there all weekend. It spawned in. I guess somehow it got up on a roof. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, it just it's high enough that it won't jump down. <laughs> so. Uh, it's been there the whole time. It's very strange because you're walking through the back alleys and you hear, ah, you know, it's like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, like, you, you, can, you look around and you can't see it, right? It's like ghost sheep. It's like, you can't find out what's going on. Assassin's Creed, the sheep up on the rooftop. When you on <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like about yeah. uh, death from above. It's a yeah. sheep falling on you from height. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the, the, the roof actually was quite, uh, I don't want to say contentious, but it took me a long time to run through the different materials because... I had also done a lot of other builds around it. I maybe should have done this first, but I had deep slate to the left. I had spruce to the right. I had a deep slate and I had copper and I had other things behind, you know, behind me. So I, I wanted it to have a unique feel and I didn't want to do just more dark oak or spruce because it's everywhere in this town and I'm trying to branch out. And uh, through the help of the chat, uh, I ended up picking uh, composters as the roofing material. Uh, and they have a great horizontal pattern, which you don't get very often in, in roof materials. So I was able to use those. And we messed around with like brown carpet and other things to put on top of them. But ultimately, I went with the uh, the old chocolate bar trapdoor, the dark oak trapdoor <laughs> and slabs. Yeah. As, as a combination. And it worked out quite well. I'm, I'm, I had to um, I had to thicken up the roof a bit. So it changed my interior plans because the third floor was originally supposed to be a lot larger but when you start using full blocks instead of stairs as your roofing 
material, you start to lose space inside, but fast. And, and so the inside is going to be a little bit more of a storage attic than, than really a third floor where, where people would actually sleep. Uh, but I'm okay with that. Uh, and then I've got like a rooftop balcony and I started leaning into all these little happy accidents. There's a spot for a, a balcony on the back of the build. There's a spot for a balcony actually on the West side, which is taller than the trees. And it's, I only just figured it out at the very end of the stream. So there's nothing there at all right now. But when you go out there, because I've recently finished the mansion and I've got a couple of other builds on the way, like it's going to be a really nice view. You're not just looking at the flat side of a mountain. So there's all kinds of really fun stuff to, to come kind of get in there uh it's got mostly stripped dark oak and surprisingly a just plain terracotta gable which normally wouldn't work but because it's got a clay brick chimney which i wanted to again get away from all the gray brick that's everywhere to try and make it feel a little bit different i was trying to make a, a the inn with some warm tones because this is the second inn that i have in west the other one is on the east side of town and it's green uh -huh, right like yeah. it's i think i called it the smiling goat tavern or something like that and so i'm i need to do the same thing with this like i want to give it a name and right now it's just like the west inn but i'm trying to figure out a cool cool name for it and uh, right now it's it's all oranges and browns and inside is like got a lot of dark oak and spruce and i'm trying to figure out how to do the fireplaces and stuff and it's it's fun i think i can wrap it up in another stream or two probably two because interiors always take me longer than i anticipate um but um but yeah it was it was fun to get into something that it's not going to be weeks but it's going to be a couple of streams so it feels like a big important project but it's not daunting and that it's going to take me forever to to finish sandy in our patron chat has said that it should be named the roof sheep which uh, i think is quite a nice contrast to the smiling goat it's more like the the <laughs> slightly vertigo induced sheep i don't know <laughs> i think That's it's the, the dizzy sheep maybe <laughs> if it's up on the roof the dizzy sheep that could be i mean it's a tavern on the bottom so yeah like we'll, yeah we'll yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see what have you been up to in minecraft this week Oh, a lot. I've I've done a great deal. Obviously, the Hermitcraft Empires collab is still ongoing, and I've been taking every opportunity I can to collaborate with some of the folks from the Hermitcraft side, especially when it means setting up farms, because that's what they've been doing on the server for the last week or so, is establishing this giant tower where they're building out a ton of resource farms, both to make themselves self-sustaining and maybe light a fire under those of us who trade specific resources on Empires. So it's a really fun mechanic of sorts to kind of get the plot moving for us and it also means i get to collaborate with people who have some pretty cool farm designs up their sleeves so uh azuma and i went out to the end and bridged out into the void and built built ian 4s next generation copper farm which is the one you might have seen azuma build on hermitcraft it effectively spawns zombies in using the zombie reinforcement mechanic in the end which is effectively already a spawn free perimeter if you go out that far into the void or spawn proof the central end island the only thing that spawns out there is enderman you light it up adequately and make sure that there's limited height spawning space so that only the zombies can spawn we had to get a bunch of zombies through the end portal to kickstart the farm but luckily i found a zombie spawner really close by the stronghold so that became much easier than it would have been otherwise and aside from a couple of accidents on the way where it turns out loading the entry platform to the end with zombies is a pretty surefire way to die when you go through the portal um we had a great time putting this farm together and it's very very effective it's also 
one of those farms that I don't know if I would build again or build in my single player world or something because it's just unpleasant to use after a certain point. And this is because the farm is self-throttling in the sense that it will slow itself down based on your own like client side performance because after a while with that many reinforcement zombies spawning in your frame rate drops to like zero <laughs> you know you're you are swinging a sword still you're still hearing sound effects happening in the background and this is all done using an auto clicker so it's swinging a sword at a specific pace to make sure that the farm operates and you don't end up killing the drowned by accident but it's really like it chugs after a while it's it's not as bad on the server as it looks to use uh but it still potentially creates tick lag and all sorts of other issues so it's one of those things that like i don't like going back to tabbing back to my minecraft window and like moving around and not seeing the movement until a couple of seconds later um so it's not the kind of thing that i'd be super into the rest of the time and i'm honestly quite tempted to try a very basic version of it maybe like strip down to a certain capacity and then try and time trial it against going and mining one of those huge copper veins and seeing which one gets the better return for the time like i'm fairly certain that the copper farm is because it scales it's probably like way better and is obviously a renewable source of copper but it's not it doesn't feel very good to use because it just feels like you're killing your minecraft instance with how much is going on there i've seen that in action i think when exumavoid built it on hermitcraft and it's one of those farms where i kind of feel like it it pushes the boundaries of like effort in versus amount of um like items that you get out yeah the, the gameplay that you get out of it i i i there's something about like farms that are like super op that don't either look cool or feel cool or like or don't have the amount of effort put in that you feel that they should like mm -hmm. i've got a yeah. copper farm that i'm using it's a, a mini version of something that il mango designed and i think the the big version is what um tango tech has on on hermitcraft and that's a monster like you know you don't need to turn it on all the time um but the one for me, it's slow, but it's it's like it's AFKable. Like it's the kind of thing where like you put an auto clicker on and you just kind of keep your eye on it for the afternoon. And after a while, you get a you know sit four or five stacks of copper, and that's all I really need for a while. You know, mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't have a, a David Copperfield machine <laughs> to, to age all the copper for me. To magically age it, yeah. And that's really the reason we built this was just to have a good excuse to load that thing up with copper on a regular basis, and then. I can provide any copper the hermits want to use whilst they're here. You know, I can have it all pre-oxidized and ready for people to build with. And I think that's fun. But yeah, it, it's one of those things that I think you'd maybe want to use once and then leave alone for a while. But the sheer capacity it's able to produce is like pretty staggering. And yeah, I, I, I'm always in favor of things that have you playing the game as opposed to AFKing it because... It not only ties up your Minecraft instance doing something that you're not actively participating in, but in some cases it can lead to your whole computer slowing down and then you have to just go and like do the dishes or something. Um, yeah. 
but uh, I, I'm also a little bit concerned about its impact on performance for the rest of the server, and the thing basically eats up the entire mob cap. Um, even with there being individual player mob caps now, the amount of zombies this generates is ludicrous. Uh, so people go caving, there's just nothing there, and sometimes people want mobs, especially if the hermits have just built their own, like, hostile mob spawner and they want gunpowder from that and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, we, we're trying to balance it out right now. I'm not AFK on it all the time. Um, and it is very, very noisy to use. But the other thing I've been doing in the end is uh, I, Jevin, and I decided we were going to set up an Enderman farm. And that allowed me to flex my uh, occasional, like, bizarre Minecraft knowledge and the use of that end gateway spawning trick where you can create a custom location for a gateway out in the void if you know that somebody hasn't been through a gateway, or if you, you fight the dragon, you generate a new gateway, and then you can eliminate any potential spawning spaces for it and put a couple of blocks of endstone out in the void and the gateway will generate above one of those. So we did that so that we could have a completely terrain-free perimeter for an enderman farm, and then we just created a really basic design that was, you know, a flat platform and a, a gap for the enderman to drop through and endermite to bait them all in towards the center, and that works a treat. I think it was really cool to be able to combine those two because Jevin knew the Enderman farm design. I knew how to do the gateway spawning trick. And I'm going to go back later in the week and decorate it so it's slightly easier to get to, so that maybe it's got like a an interesting path down there. And I just have to make sure that none of those blocks are things that Enderman can teleport to. So we'll see how uh, creative I'm able to get with it and how much is just going to rely on pure functionality at that point. An Enderman farm is something I'm going to have to refresh my mind on later uh, because if they ever switch and change the way that zombie pigmen uh, or piglins affect, you know, um, uh, the, the old donut gold farm, because that's how we repair our gear right now, which is mm -hmm. great because you only have to go to the, the nether. You don't have to go all the way to the end. It's really quite close. Uh, but if, if that happens, then the ender ender is going to be the, the new XP farm. And we have one, but it's never been fast. It's never been what I see on on hermitcraft or or any of your series and so i don't know what i need to change about it i thought i had it all right um but it just doesn't seem to be operating quite the right way some of it was that i wanted it to be you know cool looking but still the platform location and and separation is all pretty straightforward i don't, I don't imagine it's something that um it, it should affect it anyway so i just might have to refresh my memory on the mechanics but with regards to all the farms that are happening i'm i'm woefully behind in all the crossovers that are happening with uh, hermitcraft and empires but from what i can tell like the hermits are just building like an absolutely metric ton of farms mm -hmm. and i thought that one of the things on empires was that people were already building farms or they were only building one kind of farm yes and so i, I just wonder like how is that like how is that affecting life on empires where like all of a sudden the stuff that you are trading back and forth with your your empire's neighbors is now being mass produced by a bunch of newcomers that's really all part of the story like that's okay. one of the things we decided behind the scenes was that the hermits are just going to come in and do their thing and they're going to be confused at the fact that we don't trade for diamonds because that was like yeah the way the hermit craft economy is run is very different and that's one of the things that we felt was like a selling point for empires as a concept is we don't have a diamond based economy right. and from there it was just going to be like can the hermits completely unbalance our economy are we just going to be going to their farms instead of trading with our neighbors how is that that going to affect relationships between the empires 
is it going to turn the animosity between each of us or is that going to turn the rest of the empires against the Hermitcraft empire? And like, there's a lot of different options that we have with it. We haven't settled on any one direction for it. We're just kind of feeling things out and doing our usual improvised approach to storytelling. But either way, oh. it was a concept that left us with a lot of play as far as the storyline stuff goes. In terms of like server etiquette, we said don't worry about it like behind the scenes we're all still just like trading whatever and, and being friends about it but when the cameras are rolling it's going to be telling a slightly different story right no that makes sense i uh the reason why i haven't i haven't um tuned in too much is because uh a lot of the the stuff that the hermits are doing is just i've, I've seen them do it already <laughs> like this season like it just it's more of the farms like didn't i just watch them build these farms and it's yeah. because the people i follow tend to be the technical players so then yeah like they've just set all their stuff up on on hermitcraft and then they're going and building an iron farms like i don't need to watch the, i mean it's, i'm sure it's a fun video but i'm just like i don't have all the time in the world and i've already seen a number of iron farms this season like i, I kind of want to just you know watch you know some cool builds um, but uh, I have I've been enjoying the 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 I'm not sure what you want to call it the helter skelter tower <laughs> that's mm -hmm. coming together. Yeah. It reminds me of the tower from Minecraft Dungeons actually. Uh, just the the color of it. I think it's all symmetry that has decorated the part of the outside of it yes. in the most recent video that I watched. Mm -hmm. And and it has a really cool color palette. And it, but it does remind me of the the tower you know from from Minecraft Dungeons. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's a lot going on there, and it's changing every day, so it might look completely different when I log in later to take a look at it. But uh, for now, let's move on to the news. We have Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 22W45A to talk about this week. We'll have a link to that in our show notes over at Minecraft.net. The new features to talk about are that they've added the new default skins for offline players as well, so you don't have to be logged in and connected to the internet in order to play with one of the new player skins. They've also added a block of bamboo and a stripped block of bamboo to kind of simulate logs for bamboo users. Block of bamboo can be crafted from nine bamboo items and can be stripped like other wood logs. Bamboo planks crafted from blocks of bamboo yield only two planks compared to four for wood logs just to balance bamboo against the other types of wood. The other changes in 22W45A include the VEX model having a visual refresh to be updated to look related to the LA. It does retain a slightly oversized hitbox to make it easier to fight, and we all thank Mojang for that. The wild update music has been tweaked slightly in-game to be a little less loud. When opening, shulker boxes will now pop off blocks which are attached to the opened faces, like torches. If you put a torch on a shulker box, which you could do before, then it'll pop it off when you open it. And blocks that require support can't be placed on those open faces while the shulker box is open. For spectators, there is now a teleport to team member option in the spectator menu that now only shows up for teams with viable target players. So if you're tailing somebody in a UHC, for example, you can't go around and see what all of the other teams are doing and advise them in secret. They've also added an operator items tab option in the controls menu, which is off by default, and that leads us into the changes to the creative inventory this week. There is now an operator utilities tab, which contains operator only items. This only appears if you have both the operator items tab option in controls menu set to on and the required operator permissions if you are an op, if you are the administrator of your server or world. The tab is hidden if operator uh, permissions are lost while the inventory is open, and that now also includes structure blocks and all light levels of light blocks. They've also added a coloured blocks tab which contains all blocks with 16 colour variants, think wool, concrete, terracotta, and that kind of thing. They've moved all coloured blocks out of the building blocks tab to the coloured blocks tab to make the building blocks tab less sizable. 
The consumables tab has been renamed to food and drinks to have a more straightforward name. And likewise, the crafting tab has been renamed to ingredients since not all items are used in crafting. They've reordered the natural blocks tab to be a little bit more consistent between types for the top sections. They've moved eggs to be between seeds and single block plants. They've placed climbable plants above double block plants. In food and drinks, they've got cooked versions of raw food now right next to each other. In redstone blocks, it is now less cluttered. They have higher importance items at the top. They've removed variants of doors, trapdoors, boats, and buttons that don't have any functional differences. And in ingredients, they've placed lapis in the same order as the ore blocks are in the other tabs. They've moved Bottle of Experience, which I thought was called Bottle of Enchanting, but apparently not, from the Tools and Utilities tab to the Ingredients tab next to Enchanted Books. And they've added all axes to the combat tab, but they still remain in the tools and utilities tab as well. All possible suspicious stews have been added to the consumables tab, and the tooltip will let you know which one has which effect before you pick it out of the creative inventory. Only stews with effects available via crafting or mushrooms are listed. Uh, pressure plates and buttons of each type have been added to the building blocks tab. Almost all of the lighting blocks have been put to the top of the functional blocks tab. All three flight durations of fireworks have been added to tools and utilities, and the combat tab next to crossbow. Eye of Ender is next to the end portal frame block in the functional tab for better ease of use if you want to craft your own end portals. And finally, tooltips for all items in the creative menu outside single category tabs will show the categories where that item can be found. Previously, that only happened if you used the search tab. Now you can find it on any view in the creative inventory. Oh, that was a lot of changes. Last of all, some notable fixed bugs in this snapshot. There is a full list of those on the changelog at minecraft.net, but three I thought were worth pointing out. Horses could suffocate when going through nether portals. That's finally been fixed after being a long-standing issue. You previously couldn't empty water buckets into waterlogged blocks. You now can. And player desynchronization with nether portals was an issue that's now been resolved in this snapshot as well. So we're looking at a decent raft of bug fixes in this snapshot. So I am ready for the new Vex model. I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's fantastic. I think it makes a lot of sense. In my humble opinion, I thought the old design was not very good at all. Uh, even by Minecraft's limited design standards, it's one of those designs I felt really made Minecraft feel old and dated. Yeah, and... They, they kind of look like shrunken humanoids before, right? They've got these kind of like very straight arms. It's like, imagine the player model, but shrunk down to a very small size and they just put wings on it. And uh, now they've got like larger cartoonish heads and they, they look a lot more like the same shape as the Alley, right? Yeah, precisely. It, it makes more sense with other things in the world. Uh, you've also got the allays being trapped in the woodland mansion and also having vex in the woodland mansion like i mean it all it all seems to tie together much much better uh, i also really like the cartoon angry eyes very similar to the minecraft bees mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i like that i i think they are missing that evil grin that the other ones had and i wonder if that can be put back in with the resolution that they're using for the vex model but uh yeah they're, they're evil but somehow still cute i kind of joked on twitter that like yeah, I'm not going to... How am I supposed to defend myself from these vexes when I'm constantly trying to take selfies with them, you know? <laughs> they, they, they do look like a lot cuter now, and yeah. I think it really emphasizes the, the um, you know, the, the relationship between the vex and the LA. I think it's a, a really neat change. So maybe still a couple of texture tweaks for people who really wanted the the old grin like i saw people who are specifically very keen on vexes from from the past being a little bit miffed that they'd removed the the grin but aside from that yeah i think 
a logical change in one that makes makes a, a great deal of sense. I kind of um, wonder if they could do something with the model where they could actually give it a jaw, like actually give it some teeth or something like that. It could be, I mean, mm. I know it be, would be unique and they don't really do that with any other models, but that that could be a lot of fun. What, what When you keep on mentioning the grin, like I'm having a hard time remembering it, but at the same time, it does make me think of Jack-Jack from The Incredibles, who mm-hmm. is very cute, yeah. but then turns into that like fire-headed purple monster thing and is just little, but is like tearing the hair out of some bad guy. <laughs> Like yeah. just an absolute fury, but he's got a smile the whole time. Like he's just uh, he, while he's screaming. Like I, I, I can see that. I can see that being important in the in the Vex's, I guess, appearance. Yeah. the The big difference really is that I, I talked about them kind of being like a shrunk down player in terms of the resolution of the texture. They are like it's mapped onto a smaller model, but they still have a sixteen pixel like a te- or a ten pixel head, and like right. there's like th- there's less of that in the new vex model i think it's actually like half the scale so it's like it's more like they have a five pixel wide face um and and yeah like i put a comparison thing in our live chat for for people to take a look at but it's it's basically like the difference between a player scale texture and a mob scale texture um and so it's yeah it's it's very different but i think it's something people are going to get used to and for new players i think it'll especially make even more sense um how do you feel about the block of bamboo because this is i think one of those things people have been asking for bamboo to look more green when they were they made it available as a building block and so there's a few interesting points to this not the least of which actually is the fact that the block is directional because it's a log block right that yeah that's where my brain went immediately is that when i was seeing the criticism of the bamboo um block earlier when they first showed it off, it was a lot of people were saying like, I, it just feels like something that should be directional, right? Because you see bamboo in the world in like in real life in two different, like you see it strapped up and vertical or in growing vertical, but like when it's not like when it's like when it's stored, it's generally horizontal. People don't lean it up against buildings, you know, like they mm, tend to lie yeah. it down, you know, in the way that most lumber is stored. And so being able to to run it horizontally, I think, is is very good. I did a couple of quick tests in Creative just to kind of see what it looked like as a roofing material, and it's great. And now you've got a green roofing material, and you've got a stripped version as well. So you can have the the, the current bamboo texture if you want that as a roofing material, whereas previously it would look really hard to put that as a uh, a block on the roof because you have the ends exposed so if you're seeing the roof from above it's not going to have the same appeal as when you see the roof from below yeah and it's not going to look like bamboo lying on a 45 degree angle it's going to look like a bunch of bamboos all tied end to end which wouldn't make any sense because they're hollow (laughs) like it just it just the way that they have it directional makes a lot more sense i'm still kind of holding out for a texture color shift back to something a little bit less yellow greeny because uh, I tried putting it up against other wood blocks and stuff like that. The green one, of course, goes with everything, but but the stripped version uh, still has um, some some blocks. I feel that I wish it would go with. However, the one thing I noticed was that it's not just a sideways version of the bamboo block. It's a different texture. So the let's see if I can remember this. The stripped block of bamboo is similar to planks in its texture it's closer to planks than it is to the the bamboo texture that we have now Mm -hmm. 
yeah yeah i think i think it's roughly that like it it, it feels like planks but with different join marks almost like you yeah you've, you've got different different segments to the bamboo in the texture yeah like there's there's a lot you can do with it uh, i i think it's it's cool that we also have this new block but it already has two different colors to it i think one of the issues people were having with the bamboo planks and whatnot was that the texture was different enough that you couldn't blend it with any other types of material in terms of texture like you could blend it based on color or based on you know your knowledge of what material it was if you're using it with other wood types but there, there weren't any other wood types that had that texture whereas now you have that internal consistency of there being two different colors for block of bamboo you can use that for gradients and transitions and like a variety of other things uh i i kind of like the fact that you can see the end texture of it although i do wonder if they're gonna add in a six-sided log texture the same way that others like types of wood and strip would do but then the question remains what would they call it at that point because right. they've, they've kind of got block of bamboo and you couldn't call it bamboo woods because yeah like they, they've clearly steered away from that in the naming conventions so who knows um but yeah i i like it a lot the top texture of it actually kind of reminds me of tnt the way that tnt is supposed to really be like 16 little rolls of dynamite like sticks of dynamite all banded together mm -hmm. and so i've been thinking of it as vegan tnt which i kind of like as a as a concept <laughs> um but yeah I, I i think it's a great addition i think it's really what the bamboo wood set needed to make it complete it feels like to me and i don't think i'd use a six-sided variant so i don't think we ne really need to worry about that i think the end texture being there is almost more appealing to me about the block than if it didn't have one so yeah, yeah. good good job I was going to, when I did the roof, I kind of felt like I should hide the end texture. Like it didn't seem to work that well on the roof. But mm. at the same time, if you're intentionally using the end texture in a wall, if you're using it in a floor, in a ceiling, like there's a, now because of the directional nature of it, you can do all kinds of stuff. You could even like use the end of the bamboo to like make it look like you have a giant beehive you know it almost could look like honeycombs if you had like bees kind of flying around and a bunch of hives and honey dripping places like you could have it really look like an interesting you know like have it look like another block like look, look like it's a, it's a honeycomb instead of just a bamboo block so it's very busy but in the right use cases i could see it being quite diverse I forget if this was a change they made last week. I'm scrolling back through our last week's show notes and I don't see it. They've also changed the color of scaffolding to be consistent with the way bamboo blocks are, like the bamboo oh, wood I didn't types. Like that it, at all. Uh, uh, it's had a little bit more, I think, saturation or a little bit more yellow added to the texture, uh, which makes it way more in line uh, with scaffolding with with the the bamboo blocks so i think that's again really nice to have a bit of consistency of color i don't think many people were interested in using it to have the scaffolding stand out and if anything it just adds scaffolding in as a block that works really well with the bamboo palette if you want to create windows i know people you already make uh scaffolding into windows quite frequently in in builds now so we'll see if that encourages people to explore the bamboo wood colors a little bit more and so I think that that's going to have the opposite effect because I was hoping they were going to swing bamboo closer to scaffolding. Right, okay, bring yeah. scaffolding back to bamboo. And the uh -huh. people that have been using scaffolding in their builds with other brown blocks, I think are going to find like, now I have a greeny yellow window. 
Mm, yeah. <laughs> and this is not my favorite thing. So I can see it going both ways. But I mean, like people that are that into it often have a texture pack fixing one or two things in the game for their own purposes anyway. So um, I will very likely try to come up with my own um, desaturation or just I'll probably swing it a little bit more beige than than greeny yellow when it eventually comes time for me to use it. Makes sense. Yeah. The uh, the last thing I wanted to cover was briefly to reiterate how thankful I am that horses aren't going to suffocate when going through nether portals, um, because that's been a real concern for me. I've, I've started recording a couple of YouTube shorts, and one of the things I've wanted to do involves the retexture of horses that we have on the Empire's server where mine are dodos. Um, and I, I've been dragging two dodos all around the server trying to film with different people, and... I have to go through the overworld and usually over like some pretty steep terrain, leading one of them on a lead and riding on the other one because I don't dare take them through the nether portals, otherwise they're going to suffocate in the frame. And this was a problem, I think, only with the the standard nether portal design, like the 14 blocks, you know, 3x4 frame and like a 2x3 interior. The other portals of different sizes I've tried, the larger ones usually are fine to go through, but because it spawns slightly over to one side when the horse goes through, the hitbox intersects with one of the obsidian blocks and, you know, it, it, the, the horse starts to take damage and suffocate. So I, I really think that's a, an important change for people who want to use horses for nether travel. So crossing my fingers that that works out and isn't, you know, <laughs> gonna going to mess with anything else long term because I'm very happy it exists. Hopefully that applies to camels as well. Yes, oh, camels are going to be huge. So yeah, we'll yeah. we'll see how big we need to make nether portals to uh, let those through. Uh, let's move on into chunk mail. This is ostensibly our chunk mail dispenser episode, but we decided to spin one of them out into a main discussion instead. So we're going to read this first one, and then we've got a slightly more substantial one to sink our teeth into afterwards. First email comes in from Evil Shadow regarding game rules from our last week discussion, improving peaceful mode. Hello, Joel and Johnny. I hope you're doing well. Speaking of game rules in Minecraft in episode 218, I thought I would share a game rule idea for hostile mobs. What if a game rule allowed players to toggle the light level at which hostile mobs can spawn? Players who want to can go back to light level 7 for mob spawning, say for nostalgia purposes. Maybe a negative value would mean no hostile mobs spawn. How is this different from peaceful mode? Well, how about a game rule in peaceful mode that allows the hostile mobs to spawn, only they would not be hostile towards players? This would allow peaceful players to get drops from hostile mobs without the aggressive interactions. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Love the podcast, Evil Shadow. Thank you very much, Evil Shadow. Um, yeah, I, I'm generally all in favor of game rules like this. Again, we've talked about this being a sandbox game and players having different levels of control over the game is really what makes this an interesting game. And I think it's kind of like the level of customization that you see in games like Ark Survival Evolved in which that lets you control parameters like how long it takes to tame dinosaurs and stuff like that. And some of that stuff, people get really like fixated on doing it the default way, but I think for some people it's just a matter of saving time or making the game more convenient for you whilst still not removing the essence of what the game is. And I think allowing for hostile mob spawning to be dictated by different levels of light could be a really interesting change for map makers among other people it certainly places fewer restrictions on some of those things in the sense that before we felt like light level seven was restrictive but now light level zero could be too restrictive to people in the opposite direction 
I thought that dialing the light level up or down might be fun for, I mean, a number of people that either find it too challenging. Um, we've talked a little bit about game rules and accessibility in the past. And I yeah. feel like that, that might be something as well. Cause some people might not want to completely remove mobs, but then also like would like to have at least one or two skeletons. So it feels like Minecraft that they see other people play, you know? Um, and then on the other extreme, dialing it up, like what if you wanted mobs to spawn all the time, everywhere during the day, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I feel like, you know, there might be some advanced technical players that want the added challenge, but also the added reward of higher output farms that may be less grindy to build because you don't have to build a giant dark box in order to get things to spawn. Um, so that could be kind of fun to watch as well. I had the same question about map makers. I don't know whether map ma makers have more control over spawns like that, whether they can just say, well, regardless of light level, we want these skeletons to kind of pop into this, this dungeon level that we've created because we want more mobs for the players. So maybe when the player crosses a certain point or gets within a certain range, they just, it spawns so many um, skeletons. I don't know whether that's something that has to be put in a command block, whether normally the solution there would be to put, you know, monster spawners nearby in the map design. Like maybe that's the solution to that. I don't really know. Um, and I guess that's another question is like, if this is a, a game rule toggle for light level for spawning, does that affect spawners? Do you also have a game rule that then says, I would like my spawners to have a different light level than say the world. Maybe I'm fine with the world having a light level of zero for mob spawning, but I really want my mob spawners to have a much wider range so that I don't have to make the big dark box around them all the time. Right. So mm -hmm. I, there's definitely some interesting questions. And I mean, it's a good challenge too, because if you were really into like a PVP VE or a PVE environment, like having all kinds of mobs spawning all the time, we've seen something similar in um, Minecraft dungeons when they increase, like it's dark mode, I think they call it when just yeah. like, there's just constantly mobs spawning and attacking you throughout the entire level. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's interesting. How do you feel about like a peaceful mode where there's hostile mobs that don't attack the player? I think this sounds like a mod pack called Bliss, uh, which is by Vazki, I believe. There's a few other things involved in Bliss, but the core concept is that it's a peaceful-like mod pack. Monsters don't attack you unless you attack them first, so you can just kind of chill the rest of the time as, as long as you, you don't initiate a hostile interaction with another mob. So it kind of turns every mob into a neutral mob, basically. And uh, that's really worth looking into. There are a variety of other additions it makes, uh, but a lot of those are really cool ones, like um, adding a full like range of Xbox controller support and uh, disabling mobs like spiders for people who have severe arachnophobia, that kind of thing. And I know a couple of people like that who would love to play Minecraft without the spiders. Um, but yeah, I, I think implementing that kind of thing in vanilla and having it be an option would really open up peaceful mode gameplay in an interesting way. And it would also allow players who are still like not too keen on hostile mobs and, and their, their usual mechanics to get comfortable with them being around. I think a lot of the the issues that people have with caving in the game is often like, you know, jump scares and the fact that there are mobs around every corner and being afraid of encountering them. So it could almost be like a little bit of immersion therapy, but with a, uh, a potentially like slightly more controlled environment for that um, to, to get people interested in playing in 
regular difficulties of survival if they prefer to work their way up to it. Um, and yeah, I, I like the idea of there at least being access to stuff like gunpowder if creepers are still around, then yeah, I think I think that could work quite well. It's funny, you know, looking at what might be scary for players because when my niece started to get into Minecraft, unfortunately it didn't last very long and I was hoping that she would really get into it and then, you know, we'd have some fun stuff to talk about. But uh, one of the reasons she did not play survival was that the zombies were scary. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that it was because she was scared of the zombies, but it was because they are zombies and zombies are supposed to be scary. Like the world has told me that those are scary things and therefore I should be scared. The idea Uh, of them is more scary than the reality of looking at this kind of blocky looking zombie. Blocky thing. Yeah, it's pretty cartoony. Um, but I, I've often wondered, like, because in Satisfactory, there's an arachnophobia mode because the spiders in that game are creepy crawling yeah. and, and jump at you. And they basically have just re- replaced them with like floating cat heads. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, I, which is unfortunately for me, it's really immersion breaking. But for people that ha- suffer from arachnophobia, I can understand it. Um, but in Minecraft, like I can see either a texture pack or even a toggle that would say, all right, well, we're going to make the skeletons less zombie less scary we're going to make the zombies less scary and we're going to make the spiders into something else you know like maybe they're i'm not sure what you could replace them with but you know like maybe they maybe they replace the spiders with badgers like you know just just something Mm -hmm. like that that just kind of makes them less creepy because i know in i want to say world of warcraft in asia they had to change the models of the undead characters Yes. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's yeah. that's a thing in China culturally. Like, I think skeletons aren't present in the um, the Chinese release of Minecraft either. Like, right? There's yeah, a, a few things yeah. that are that are not really done there. Yeah. So what, I wonder what they're replaced with, though. Like, do they mm. just not exist? Um, because in peaceful mode, like now that we've got moss, you can get bone meal pretty easily. You don't need a bone farm. Uh, you, there's a number of things that I feel that you can still get kind of alternative ways now in peaceful mode. The only thing that I kind of kind of turn my nose when I think, man, peaceful mode would be really nice to try out just as that added challenge, just to kind of go in and do a bunch of farms and just kind of a short playthrough. But then I realized that I'm not going to be able to get a light tread. I'm not going to be able to have shulker boxes. And that's when I'm yeah. just like, nope, I'm out. And I'd have to, I'd have to like have some sort of data pack to allow to m- me to make shulker boxes out of turtle shells or something. Like I'd have to yeah. come up with some challenging, but also like, re- you know, way to get them. And I'm not even sure about Elytra. Like you can't get Elytra in, in peaceful mode, right? Because you can't, can you even get to, like, if you go to the end, can you even get back? I mean, you can. It's the, the concern is more that you can't get to the end in the first place because you don't have the ingredients to make Eyes of Ender because right. blazes don't exist That's and you don't find is. blaze powder anywhere yeah. else. So I think just adding in a way of getting blaze powder a different way could resolve that. But in mm. in in this notion of there being no hostile interactions when, in peaceful mode, but mobs still spawning, you could still set up a blaze farm and do potion brewing and all that kind of stuff. You would just not worry about consequences to that so yeah i think i think peaceful mode really does need an overhaul one of these days and i don't think that's out of mojang's scope right now like i don't know if that's necessarily something they would focus on for a major update theme it might be something that gets revised slowly over time but if they're looking at changing things like the vex model to be more consistent and little tweaks here and there maybe maybe something like an update to peaceful mode might come in future we will see. Uh, let's move on to our second email. This is the one that's going to really spin out into our main discussion. Phil has written in with the subject solo to multiplayer. Hey, Johnny and Joel. 
I only play single player, but I'm really enjoying the collaboration between the Hermits and the Empire's SMP crew. It makes me want to play with other people. How did you start playing in multiplayer? Do you have any recommendations on how to find a good server to do this? I'm on PlayStation 5, so Bedrock Edition, but would love to hear your story and how I could get a glimpse of collabs. Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much for writing in, Phil. Uh, one quick reminder, if anybody wants to write into the show and potentially get your email featured in future, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you, especially if you've got anything interesting you want to say about the snapshots or the more recent news about Minecraft in general. So I can just kind of start off with how I got involved uh, in Minecraft, which was multiplayer from the get-go. So... What happened was Stephen, uh, Stephen ESC on the Citadel with me, uh, heard that I was into Lego and was complaining about not having access to it all the time and said, you should try Minecraft. I've been playing it with my sons. I think you'd really like it. And we can set it up so that um, we've got like this, you know, free month server that we can try. And if you like it, then you can either continue to play on your own or we can look at keeping the server up. But the reason was that because I was new to the game and he knew how much help he needed from his sons, he wanted to kind of walk me through and introduce me to the game. And so that's usually where I go to when I just kind of dispense advice to people that are looking to start multiplayer is that rather than looking to join an existing multiplayer situation, you can always start your own. And you, especially if you can convince a friend who you already know you get along with to join you and start Minecraft, because then you have the fun of like showing them the game, sharing your passion for it with them. And then if they start to like it, then you know that you're going to get along with your server mate, no problem, or mate, you know, or server mates, depending on how many people you decide to try and get to join you. Um, so I played the month with Steven uh, and his sons. Then we ended, we, I'm I decided to keep on playing and I downloaded a copy of the world and continue to play that as my single player. But then once I kind of got the itch to do multiplayer, learned more by watching, by that point, I was watching a lot of Hermitcraft. Uh, I was also watching this guy, Pixel Rose. Um, Who? And so never, I thought, never heard of him. <laughs> never heard of him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then I, I decided, okay, well, now I know enough about this game that I feel like I can introduce some of my friends to it. Uh, enter, you know, Alistair and I were the first two people on the server. I brought in a bunch of other friends online. Um, the, the roster has changed. I've been able to bring in new people. Some people have left because their lives have gotten too busy, but, um, ultimately I ended up saying like, I could not find a, a server that, that had the right kind of vibe for me. So I just made my own. And now I had previous experience, like running my own websites and stuff like that. So setting up a server was really not that hard for me. Uh, I was also playing Java edition. So all of my experience comes from that. I don't have any experience in Bedrock other than just trying it out briefly and enough to talk about it uh, a little bit on the show. So, you know, then uh, eventually um, Steven ended up joining the Citadel. So now the Citadel is five plus years old. And uh, the the person that introduced me to Minecraft is now joined my server and is streaming from my server, which is just, it's really, really cool to kind of have that full circle and it's fun to be able to like, we know we work out together in the mornings. We chat about Minecraft. It's nice to have a real life friend. That's not just 
a discord chat you know where i can talk about minecraft and we can share experience we're on the same server so you know like um a lot of us are actually either in the region or in the same city so we can go go out for a meal or go out for beer and if we want to talk about like some logistics or some i don't want to say politics but let's just say future plans for the server things that we want to discuss like game rules that we might want to turn off and turn on we can just do that in person which is one of the benefits i think of like trying to get your existing friends into minecraft as as one of the first approaches to trying to branch from solo to multiplayer the only reason i don't do solo right now it's not that i don't enjoy it it's because it just seems to pull away from the projects that i have going on the citadel but i did enjoy it at the time and i really enjoy as a creator the creative control of a solo uh, uh minecraft world but it's also been an exercise for me in letting go in doing a multiplayer server where someone decides to build something on that hill that you might have been looking at but you didn't communicate to everybody that you wanted to do something there and somebody else got there first you're like yeah that's fine we're gonna we're gonna accept mm -hmm. that <laughs> we're gonna continue on um unfortunately uh and this is changing hopefully there's a, a multiplayer event on the citadel coming up this month um more on that later but the the gameplay on the citadel because it's such a long-standing server we've kind of turned into a, a bit of a hermit craft where everybody seems to just have their own big projects that they're working on on their own. So even though you might be able to bring in someone into Minecraft and they're going to have their own ideas about what they want to do, it can quickly turn into um, two players playing on the same world, but separately. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like, Johnny, you might be able to have some input because of the work that goes behind the scenes on Empires to kind of like, if you're going to try the multiplayer thing, you might want to have some ideas to suggest right off the get-go that will encourage a constant like collaboration, you know, like a, either a shared build area or something. I'm not sure what other things you might have for ideas for encouraging, not just getting someone to be, to do multiplayer, but then also encouraging the actual multiplayer interaction on the server. Yeah, I think it comes down to a few things that are inherent to Minecraft as a cultural artifact now. Things like there being a spawn, like you want to build some kind of friendly area at the center of your world just in case you break your bed and die or whatever happens and you end up back at spawn. So building a spawn town together is usually what servers tend to do. I think like later on servers don't always rely on that like if you want to preserve the spawn area for other projects sometimes but i think that's a, a good project to get somebody started is to say okay we're going to set up a little village here just make sure we have all of the resources to survive and hey what if we had like a town hall here and we kind of establish ourselves and it just builds from there um i think honestly you need to start by like joel said getting friends family members interested and i just did a little bit of number crunching which i'll share with you there are roughly the world the world's population is about 8 billion people right now um and as of 2022 around 238 million copies of minecraft have been sold and so if we just take the bedrock edition players that's probably closer to 200 million because uh, bedrock edition is about nine tenths of the player base so if i put those two numbers together divide one by the other one in 40 people plays minecraft bed or owns a copy of minecraft bedrock edition so chances are if you know 40 people you know at least one other person that plays minecraft and it might be like a friend's child so obviously don't make it weird but there there is a chance that 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 child's parents know about minecraft at least and maybe want to get into it in order to you know help out their kid through 
whatever gaming experiences they're having and actually understand what their kid is talking about every so often so th- there are opportunities i think out there for the average person to to get interested in minecraft i think a lot of the time people just don't talk about being interested in it because they're worried about sounding like too nerdy in front of their very straight-laced friends um but it turns out that people know what minecraft is now it's a phenomenon so i think don't be afraid of reaching out to other people who might be interested in playing um i started on xbox 360 Uh, i started mostly playing alone but i would still play like co-op split screen sometimes with friends or my partner um and i ended up moving to java edition just so i could play with my brother-in-law on decidedly vanilla which is the server i started out on making youtube videos and he joined that because he was playing with one of his friends and i'm not sure how that friend really got into that group but it was just you know something that they all ended up doing together and that way you meet people and you hop from server to server from there in my experience so a lot of the time it just comes down to like knowing one person and then you effectively get invited into a whole community of people who may have some shared goals, who might be interested in your vision for things, but might have their own vision. And it can lead to that situation where you're playing in a multiplayer environment, but apart, but you can still find ways of being useful to each other. And that's where a system like Empires or Hermitcraft or you know any of the servers in which technical projects are part of the server's life you know you end up with people making sugarcane farms so that you can have enough paper to craft elytra rockets and that kind of thing you end up with people sharing resources or starting a community mine or all sorts of stuff like that and if it's somebody that you're interested in hanging out with for a couple of hours at a time you can hop in a a voice chat in a discord call or whatever you know ps5 communication features exist and you can just go mine for resources together for a little while. Caving is so much more fun if you implement the buddy system, and it is less likely that a creeper is going to sneak up on you if somebody has your back. So I think that's always a, a good way to start with getting involved in a multiplayer environment, is going resource gathering and then seeing what you come out with. And the, there are ways of making that fun too. You have things like Abba Caving, where you assign values to each of the ores you silk touch everything and then bring it all back and whoever has the most points at the end takes home the whole lot like there's there's a lot of different ways that you can make it interesting for yourself and a lot of those have just been generated from the minecraft community over the years i think the uh pairing up and doing early game together is is definitely one of the best ways to kind of especially if it's someone that's new to minecraft but i hear it a lot with parents where they find the crafting and the building, they're not quite as creative as say they're they're youngster. And so what ends up happening is that the parents end up running like base defense, like you're knocking mm-hmm. the skeletons and shooting the zombies and the kind of thing that a lot of parents that maybe have some video game experience might be a little bit more familiar with, like shoot the bad guy, you know? And, and that way it provides a safe environment for the kid to then build up and create some infrastructure and stuff like that. So I've seen I've seen that before too. Um, I like the idea, you know, and the the story of you getting on Java Edition just to play multiplayer, because I think there is something a lot easier about Java multiplayer, and mm-hmm. that could just be my lack of experience in terms of Bedrock Edition. But you know, I was going to mention that if you're if you're selling the idea of Minecraft to a friend, it's a low bar, low cost entry game that you buy once and it updates roughly twice a year, so you get your value out of it quite quickly. Uh, that's also true of the reverse of you know, if Phil, if you wanted to get Java edition, you know, like you're, it's not like it's going to break the bank. It's going to, if you wanted to try it, see if you like it, then um, 
and you might even already have access to it depending on when you got bedrock uh so like stuff like that is is something that could open up your your multiplayer experience because um a lot of the times and this there could be some bedrock communities out there that that are attached to creators but one of the other things that if you don't have a, a wide circle of friends or you don't have a lot of people that are your age that you feel would be into minecraft then i think the next step would be to follow some creators online you already uh, obviously watch uh, hermitcraft and empires so a lot of the individuals that are part of these servers have some sort of community server. Usually it's part of some sort of Patreon support. It's part of how they make their living. But if you're a fan of one of these creators, then chances are you're going to be like-minded with the other fans. Not always, but you know, there's usually at least one server. Sometimes the creator might be large enough to have multiple servers, at which point there might be a Java and a Bedrock server within their community where it's just a, a place for fans and friends of the community to get together and play Minecraft. And that can be a great place to start as well because you have the, the common denominator of, we'll just use a Hermitcraft as an example. If they're a fan of one Hermit to the point where they're playing on a community server, they're probably watching more than one Hermit, which means that you're probably going to have a bunch of stuff to talk about. You know, you're going to have a, a lot of weekly events and fun things that are happening in the, the Hermitcraft and now the Empire's sphere. And then you can just have that as just like the common water cooler talk when you're getting to know new people. So it's not as awkward. Yeah. And um, there's, there's even, um, you know, larger communities of people who post their servers for people to apply to join even like if you go to reddit uh reddit.com slash r slash mc servers is uh, a hub for people to advertise their servers if they have openings and some of those have more strict join requirements than others and some may be in very different play styles there are some folks who are looking for like you know hardcore players who only have one life there's some people who uh post you know hermitcraft like servers and there are a variety of servers listed on there right now, like scrolling through most of them are Java, but there are some that are both Java and Bedrock because there is a like a server hosting option. I mean, it's not an official one, but it's a, it's a mod that effectively allows you to do it, which allows Bedrock players to connect to a Java server. Um, I think it's called Geyser is the, the platform. But either way, um, th there will also be Bedrock servers posted on there from time to time. So I think your options are out there. It just depends on your level of comfort with regard to interactions with strangers. I think Joel's advice is really solid. If you've got some common ground with a bunch of people, if you're already like a fan of Hermitcraft content or or anything like that, then that's a good way to yeah to to get familiar with people and and you can just chat about whatever you've been watching lately i think that's usually a a good shout alternatively yeah as as we spoke about earlier realms has free trials which allows you to dip into multiplayer without committing fully or you know really spending too much as far as server hosting goes um and and i think that's a, a really neat way of testing the waters a little bit and seeing if multiplayer is for you especially if you know some people who are interested in joining i mean i recently moved some java servers around and i can tell you that if for just one or two of your friends i mean you can have a java server for less than ten dollars a month mm -hmm. so it's not you know between two people especially if they're two working adults like it's less than a pint 
So yeah, like that, that is, is, you know, or a pint each, I guess I should say. I don't pay $10 for a pint. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, drinking but, some high quality yeah, beverages there. Maybe seven, but, but not, not 10, uh, unless it's a, like a 16 or 22 ounce pint. Um, but anyway, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, it, it, there are ways to kind of transition. And I, I, my first, I think the first month of the Citadel was, uh, a free realms trial and then we eventually moved it like i downloaded it and i transitioned it to a java um uh, a java server so uh that was separate from from being on on the mojang servers because i wanted more control i think i it was something to do with i can't remember exactly what it was that i wanted i don't think i don't think it was any kind of mods at that point but i feel like there was some sort of extra control that i wanted i think it was maybe like texture packs or other stuff like that but Anyway, I just I started to learn a lot more about the back end and I wanted more control with it. Um, the the last bit of advice I'll, I'll share about like getting into multiplayer is if you have an opportunity to watch maybe someone that streams from the server, um, whether it's like a uh, a patron of someone that you follow or just one of the members of the community, it'll give you a good idea as to how it works and, and what it looks like. But also, uh, and this is my experience from back when I was playing multiplayer in World of Warcraft, is that before I joined a guild and joined a server, I researched as to how heavy it was in terms of RP. And sometimes um, it might be really appealing looking at something from the outside, but if it's a really heavy RP server, that might not be your thing. Uh, or vice versa, if there's a, if griefing is allowed or if it's a PVP server, like, I mean, you have to look into the different things and know what your gameplay style is like and what you don't want to deal with. Um, you know, one of the things that appealed to my friends when i i suggested that you know that i think they might have fun on the citadel a lot of people said like well, i don't know if i have time it's like no no no. You, you this is not there's no time requirement you know you don't get kicked if you don't play for a month right like it's just it is a very casual server on the citadel for busy adults that have families and full-time jobs and so sometimes people only play once a week i own the server and sometimes i only play once a week so that kind of stuff i think is important to kind of like go through your checkboxes of what you're looking for before you join absolutely sound advice and on that note i think we're probably going to wrap things up there thank you folks so much for listening to this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can also participate in things like our live show recording we record in discord every week and we also have a monthly minecraft audio hangout coming up towards the end of november so look forward to an announcement about that we're currently at 336 patrons which is up four from last week thank you to the four of you for jumping on board and special thanks to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks. You can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show once again at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on the spongechunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixariffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where Empire's SMP Season 2 is in full swing and currently hosting the wonderful folks of Hermitcraft. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which continues to be weird, but you can find it through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixariffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online, including links to other projects like The Citadel Cafe, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe at thecitadelcafe.com or on your favorite podcast app. We talk about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Currently working my way through Andor, which I'm really enjoying. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Minecraft on weekends, Lego on Friday, and I usually pepper in other games throughout the week. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's evil, but somehow still cute.